and I'm so happy I have these glimpses into her life and she has these glimpses into my life. I go back and forth sometimes where like this is so painful yes. that it's like looking at it, you know, through binoculars, like on the other side of the fence, you know, I can see all this stuff and this life and this family and I can view it, but I'm not part of it. And as healing as that is to have that information, it just, it's painful at the same time. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and today you're going to hear from Samantha from South Florida. After watching her adoptive mother reunite with the son she placed for adoption, Samantha found herself anticipating her own reunion one day. When she located her birth mother, she learned the woman was very young when she gave birth, was told to forget about the whole thing, and had built walls around herself. Samantha remains a positive person, even though she feels like she's an outsider looking in on her birth family. This is Samantha's journey. Samantha always knew she was adopted. She has an older brother who is also adopted from South Korea. While he didn't resemble their parents, Samantha kind of did. She's average height with brown hair, like her mom and dad. Samantha was a daddy's girl growing up, and she's described herself as kind of opposite of her mom. They're close today, but when she was a teenager, they were at odds. While Samantha is a bit more reserved, her mom was larger than life, telling stories and making everyone laugh. And then my brother and I, unfortunately, have never really been close. I don't really know what it is. Just he's not really close to the family anymore either. You know, as he, you know, became an adult and left the nest and everything, he's kind of you know, push the family away more and more throughout the years. But, uh, you know, even growing up, like I said, it was a five-year age difference and he had a lot of issues growing up and unfortunately we just never bonded. Gotcha. So even through your childhood days and teenage years, you guys just never really made a connection as adoptees in the family? No. And it's really sad because, you know, even now as an adult, you know, he lives, you know, five minutes away from me and I try to call him, you know, sometimes to talk about things. And like, I know last year he confided in me that he found his non-identifying information, but his journey is a lot harder than mine. Obviously, trying to get records from South Korea is a lot more difficult than going through, you know, Catholic charities, which I mean, that's where we both were adopted from. But of course, all my information is local where he's trying to go internationally to find his family. Yeah. And it's both the challenge of going international and the additional challenges of language and culture barriers and things along those lines. So, I mean, like the physical going to meet people should they ever be found and the challenge of finding them in another language in probably very poor, if probably non-existent records. Like he's just got – a much larger mountain to climb in terms of finding himself as you absolutely that's what you said yeah really interesting yeah absolutely and i feel for him because i i mean i know the pain that i you know go through mm -hmm. and i can't you know i can't put myself in his shoes because it's a completely different even though we're both adopted and 
we both grew up with similar experiences. It's two completely different journeys. Yeah, for sure. How did you get along with your mom growing up? You sound like you've already indicated that you have very different personalities, but how'd you guys get along? Like I said, throughout my teenage years, we were close, but we had, we clashed because we had two different personalities. But like I said, we're close now. I just always, you know, growing up, like I said, we were so different and I couldn't understand why, you know, we were so different. But now, you know, just growing up and what I know now being an adult and about different personalities and obviously nature versus nurtured stuff like that definitely goes into play. Yeah, it does. It's true. Did you say that you were, you always knew you were adopted? Is that correct? Yes. I always knew I was adopted, but when I was about 10 years old, it was like every June, my mom's birthday would come up. And then the couple days following my mom's birthday, my mom's personality would completely change. I mean, she was, like I said, a very happy-go-lucky person. You know, her personality would fill up a room or still fills up a room. You know, she's very fun person to be around, life of the party kind of person. But, you know, for some reason, from her birthday... And then like a week later, she'd always be, you know, really upset and withdrawn, would, you know, sometimes be crying. And I would witness this my entire life growing up and I couldn't really understand why. And then when I was around 10 years old, my dad told me that when my mom was 17, she actually gave birth to a son and had to relinquish him for adoption. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So around her birthday, I presume must have been around the time that she gave birth birth yes about a week after her birthday so she got pregnant when she was 17 Mm -hmm. and actually gave birth right after her 18th birthday she grew up very irish catholic you know when she told her parents you know back then that was you know i'm now you know reading the girls who went away and going through all this you know adoption literature and everything you know back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, that was not okay being, you know, an underage mom or out of wedlock mom. And like I said, her parents were very Irish Catholic. So as soon as they found out, she went to a home for unwed mothers and she gave birth and came home and had to pretend like it never happened. Mm, mm, mm. And that stuck with her throughout her life such that she would be so upset on her own birth. I mean, that's just, it's really remarkable to hear the scars that birth mothers live with after the birth of their own children. And here you are an adoptee witnessing that scar. You're living sort of the parallel experience. You yourself were relinquished and you're living with a woman who relinquished her own son. That must've been fascinating when you put that together. Oh, it was, especially, you know, looking back on it now after, you know, the whole journey that she's had and that I've had. And, you know, she is an incredibly strong, strong woman. And, you know, right after she had her son, a few months later, she met my dad and, you know, my adoptive dad. And, you know, they fell in love and they were married within a year. And uh, she told him, you know, within months of them meeting each other what happened, because obviously it had just happened to her. And it was still very raw. And, you know, she had to confide that information in him so that they could start a life together and everything. And he loved her, you know, more for it Mm -hmm. and loved her through it. So that was really nice. And then my mom always wanted to be a mom. She wanted to have, you know, she was one of eight. She wanted to have, you know, at least five children. So 
you know, a couple of years of being married to my dad, they couldn't have kids. There was a problem. You know, they went and did their due diligence with the doctors and it turned out she married a man that couldn't father children. Mm-hmm. So she went through the experience of adoption from the other side and decided that she wanted to have children, you know, however she could. And she wanted to give that love to a child. So they applied to adopt. Wow. That's really fascinating. And I always admire the moms for their desire to give love to somebody else, right? I think we all have a desire to love and be loved. And I just think that it's really admirable to take the love that you have and try to make the family that you do through adoption. It doesn't always work out, but there is an admirable piece of that for those where it is altruistic. It's not always altruistic. Some of it is pressure. Society has said you need, you know, 2.2 kids or whatever the sat was. But uh, but it's cool to hear that she was sort of trying to take the love that she had and and put it on to, you know, you guys. Did you feel yeah, that? She, oh, absolutely. She was the neighborhood mom for everybody. <laughs> Everyone would play in my front yard. My mom was the one with the pitchers of Kool-Aid and the brownies and the snacks and loading up a van full of all the neighborhood kids and taking us to the parks and the water parks. And she was the room mom. You know, she was a stay-at-home mom until I was in high school. So she did everything she could just to be the best mom she could be for us. Samantha said she and her brother were very different in their teenage years. Samantha was solid, but her older brother struggled and put her parents through a lot. Samantha felt she needed to be reliable, a good student, and the golden child. She saw how much her brother's need for attention was coming out in negative ways, and she didn't want to cause the same pain for her parents that he was causing. He would tell them, you're not my mom, you're not my dad. Like He really went through an identity crisis and... It was really hard on them. It was hard on me. I'm like, well, what do you mean I'm not your sister? I'm your sister. We've grown up together. So, you know, it was just tough. And I didn't want to be the tough one. I wanted to be a positive person without, I mean, I understand why he had the feelings that he did. You know, I can't fully understand it because I'm not in his shoes. But as an adoptee, I understood what he was saying. Yeah. And God, that must have been tough because I I can imagine you were trying to embrace him and he was trying to push everybody away. Yeah. 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 That's really hard. Yeah. And I I feel sorry for him for that reason and for so many other international, transnational, interracial adoptees who find themselves in this position of looking at the family and not seeing themselves – in living in the reality that they are they are not related to these people. We we can create family, but it doesn't take with everyone. And um, that's where I think that as far as adoption agencies and stuff like that, you know, I don't I can't speak to for how it is now, but I think that's where it falls short is not providing, you know, the families and the children with okay, it's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy no matter how much love is there. Unfortunately, there was love that was taken away. Yeah, yeah. There was a family a taken away. Put it. There was love that was taken away. Wow, you really, really—that's a really good point. So then, you at ten years old realize or are informed that your mother 
has a son out there. What did you think when you heard that? You're an adoptee and you I don't know how much you conceptualized or sort of really truly understood what adoption meant, but now you've got the realization that your own mother has a son out there that she doesn't know. Do you recall how you thought about that whole thing? I think for me, kind of her relationship with her family and like our relationship with her family kind of clicked in my head. Because like I said, she was one of eight. It was, I had a lot of cousins on that side, a lot of family on that side, but she always seemed like the black sheep of the family. And I couldn't really understand why she had the same interests and hobbies as her sisters, as far as, you know, sewing, crafting, the whole stay at home mom thing. But there was always some sort of black sheepness about her in that family. And that clicked for me then why there was kind of that wall with her and with them because of something so traumatizing that she went through. I mean, I can't imagine going through something like that and then coming home and never being able to speak about that again. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. So the the experience that she had endured had created a new identity for herself as a mother. She's a woman who has given birth to a child. She's now a mother. And it was something that she was forced not to acknowledge in her own family. I, w- I can see yeah. how that would have been really, really tough to just walk back in the house and be like, well, if they say I don't have to think about it, I'm not going to think about it. You can't not not think about that. And interesting that it makes her a black sheep, you know, because she was putting up walls and barriers from them, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, her she is the youngest girl in her family. So she had siblings that were young adults when it happened. So, you know, they knew where she was. They knew what happened. And, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately, it was a different time then. And you were, you know, unfairly judged for certain things. And, you know, I feel like that judgment was definitely there and something that she, you know, felt from them. And, it just kind of changed. And I never saw the fi- the family dynamic before that, obviously. So I can't speak to that. But you can definitely tell there was some sort of, you know, wall there. Mm-hmm. Wow. Versus my dad's family was very close, very Italian family. You know, he was one out of four kids. You know, they would do the weekend dinners, get together all the time. Whereas, you know, we would see, you know, my mom's family, Christmas, Thanksgiving, that kind of thing. Samantha's father told her that he and her mother searched for her mother's son off and on over the years. After Samantha's father revealed her mother had placed a child for adoption, they never discussed that part of their life again. And Samantha didn't discuss it with her mother until she was much older. Samantha was born and relinquished in South Florida. She said when she was out and about, she would gaze over the crowd searching for familiar faces paying attention to people who stared at her just a little too long, or people she thought looked like herself. When Samantha was 14 years old, her parents shared some of the story of her birth mother and father. The woman was 14 when she gave birth to Samantha. Her birth father had been 16. When Samantha was 18 years old, she asked for and received her non-identifying information from her adoptive parents. She started going online dipping into groups where adoptees were searching for biological parents or parents were searching for their children. But it was when Samantha's first child was born that she got serious about searching. She was the first biological family member I ever saw. And she is a mini-me. She looks just like me. (laughs) So 
except she has these ice blue eyes. I have hazel eyes and my daughter has got my face, my hair, but she has these gorgeous eyes. And my husband doesn't have anyone in his family with blue eyes. I don't know my family. I'm like, where do these eyes come from? Wow. You've created this person that is spitting image of you, except for the ice blue eyes. And it's the first biological relative that you've ever known. What was that like for you? It was a surreal experience. I mean, thinking about it, you know, I've always felt comfortable, like with my parents, with my parents' families. But like I said, personality wise, we're compatible, but different personalities. And as far as looks wise, you know, we're all Caucasian besides my brother, but we still don't look the same. So for me, having somebody that looks like me, like looking back at you, it is a surreal experience as an adoptee. You know, you never have anybody in your life that you can say is blood related to you. So to have that little person looking back at you is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It really is amazing. And to watch this person grow in your image with your blood and feel like you've been sort of the first branch on your own tree with, you know, the yes. single leaf coming off is it's really fun. And it's, it's a deep set of thoughts that you go through, right? Yeah, absolutely. And especially, you know, as she's getting older and, you know, seeing her, you know, she's seven now seeing her personality come out and, you know, seeing how she's so much like me or so much my husband and like my husband in different ways. It's really cool. Samantha was in her mid-20s when her first daughter was born, so her birth mother would have been in her late 30s and her birth father in his 40s. Samantha realized that with their lives moving on after her placement, her birth parents could have had more children, so she didn't want to disrupt their lives with her re-emergence. She just wanted to know more about where she came from, just knowledge, not looking for a new family. She did an ancestry DNA test and got a few cousin matches. She joined JetMatch submitted a sample to 23andMe, joined Facebook groups to link up with search angels, but still, Samantha ran into walls. Shortly after Memorial Day in 2018, Samantha's adoptive mother reconnected with her biological son. Samantha said they had a wonderful reunion and they had only been a few hours apart on opposite sides of Florida. Suddenly, her mom had three new grandchildren who looked like her and things were great after 40 years of waiting. Samantha didn't want to wait 40 years for her reunion, so she hired a private detective. She had just given birth to her second daughter and was getting to know her new brother from her birth mother's reunion. At first, it was pretty tough on me seeing, you know, it wasn't a jealousy thing. It was it wasn't a jealous of like I felt threatened by her relationship with him. I was almost jealous of him finding his biological mother. You know what I mean? Yes. It was it was happiness and just jealousy wrapped all in one as ugly as that sounds. But it's but, not really ugly to me. Like it's it's I want that result. You're not I did. you're not unhappy with him yeah. for his result. You yeah. just want the same thing for yourself. And it doesn't really yeah. feel ugly as much as ambitious okay i like that ambitious is better but yeah i mean they had you know my bonus brother we'll call him his wife was filming their reunion and it was that perfect reunion you know she gets out of the car to meet him and she you know 
was so nervous. She put out her hand to shake his hand and he just wraps her up in a hug, you know, and they're both crying. And it's just one of those beautiful, you know, reunion things that you videos or stories that you hear. And they get to have this really deep conversation with each other. And then they start building a relationship over the year and they get pretty close. You know, she gets to know her grandchildren. There's multiple visits back and forth. And yeah, I was ambitious and motivated. Samantha was on maternity leave from work after the birth of her second daughter. So she hired the private investigator, then informed her husband she had gone all in. It had been five years of marriage, that long or more talking about searching, and Samantha was tired of going back and forth on advancing her cause. The family had a newborn at home, so she was still getting up in the middle of the night, and Samantha was exhausted. One evening, she tasked her husband with caring for the infant overnight, and she turned in early. When she woke up the next morning, she had multiple missed calls from the private investigator. He had found her birth mother. Samantha's morning started with her heart thumping with the news. When Samantha returned the missed calls, the investigator explained he had a hard time narrowing down who her birth mother was, so he had spoken with her birth father first. But the man wouldn't share any information and asked that the investigator not contact him again. Which was, you know, unfortunate to hear, but I had to prepare myself for that possibility doing the search. I'm a very, you know, analytical person. I have to have, you know, worst case scenario in my head and best case scenario for everything so that I can prepare myself. So after he tells me that, he says, you know, I have your mom. I'm going to call her. So at this point, I realized, okay, wait, he's already made contact with her, which I didn't know that that would happen mm. when I hired him. I kind of just knee-jerk reaction, you know, I'm going to hire you. You have a lot of good track records. I didn't ask enough questions about, well, what happens when you find her? Are you going to give me that information? Are you going to make contact? And I wish now that I would have asked those questions because I can see how it could be off-putting. You know, 29 years later, you get a phone call saying, hey, I have someone that thinks that you might be their father and they want to talk to you. So, so um, is it your you know, sense that he went into it too, for lack of better words, sort of aggressively or openly to too much information um, up front? Not as tactful. I don't I maybe I just wish that I would have asked I didn't ask the right questions as much research and as much preparing as you think you can do for a situation like this there's no preparing for it right but I wish that I would have gotten the information myself and I could have done what I wanted with it but I also know where he was coming from where he needed to talk to my biological father to get the information about my biological mother yeah but Again, communication between he and I probably should have happened beforehand. So you live and you learn. So I don't have any relationship with my biological father. I haven't, you know, try have all of his information. I could communicate if I wanted to, but I haven't gone down that road yet. I don't think I'm ready to go down that road yet. Do you think about it sometimes? Like maybe I'll just do it. Yes, sometimes I do. I did call one night his phone and he didn't answer, but I got to hear his voice on the voicemail and I did get brave. The way the PI did it, he's like, you know, are you aware of a baby girl born? And, you know, he listed my birthday. So I said, oh, it's baby girl born 
my birthday. If you ever want to talk, here's my number. Mm. And, you know, I just left it at that. But I did get curious. I went on Facebook. I found his Facebook page. I know I have a little brother and a little sister on his side of the family. They are both adults, but they are very young adults, you know, newly into college. So that's not something I want to get into at this time in my life. The private investigator contacted Samantha's birth mother one Saturday night. The woman has another daughter in college, so when the PI called, saying he wanted to speak with her about her daughter, Samantha's birth mother thought it was about the young woman in college, not the young woman she had never known who was trying to find her again. Samantha was sleeping the night of the call, so the private investigator wasn't able to connect the mother-daughter pair that night. The next day, the PI got Samantha and her birth mother on a three-way call, then excused himself. Samantha said it was kind of awkward, and again, she wished she had asked for more information about the process to understand how their initial reunion would unfold. She introduces herself and tells me what her name is and tells me, you know, a little bit about herself. Ironically, she lives about 45 minutes away from my bonus brother over on the other coast. So she's only a couple hours away from me as well, which was pretty cool. And she is actually also in the same profession as him. They're both police officers. Wow. Yes. That's funny. (laughs) It was a very funny coincidence, but somehow they had never met. They're one county over from each other, both in law enforcement, as is my bonus brother's wife. But the three of them have never crossed paths. Wow. But it was pretty funny. That is they were so close. Wow. What a coincidence. So how yeah, did your conversation so, with her go on the phone? It went really well. You know, I could tell she was kind of, I wouldn't want to say hesitant, but a little hesitant. But very sweat friendly, very nice. She said, you know, I'm a very positive person. You know, I don't regret anything I've done. And it's like, I'm not looking for that right you know i'm not looking to tell me if you regret it or not i hope you don't you know regret it because i've lived a good life and you know it's just you know something that happened i don't think that's i don't blame her for making the decision she made she made a decision that was best for her at that time right and as being 14 i don't even think that she was really the one making the decisions you know it was more of her mom but she told me about her mom and her dad and her siblings, and she actually had two siblings that had passed away very young. So there was a lot of trauma in that family from that. And the one sister that she had unfortunately passed away, and out of everyone in her family, I think I look the most like her. Oh, no. Wow. So, yeah, that was kind of weird. But it was a great conversation. She actually ended up calling her other daughter, so my little sister, and introduced us on the phone. And we got to just kind of, you know, talk about ourselves out of each other on Facebook and left it at that for now. And then we were texting a couple days, you know, sending pictures back and forth. And, you know, it was really nice and everything. And she went back to the Catholic service agency because I guess she had listed herself on the reunion page. There's some sort of registry that you can do in Florida where if an adoptee wants to register, they will reveal that information. And we never linked up through that for some reason. 
And it turned out, for some reason, my birth date was wrong on her end. So they never connected the two of us. So you so. guys should have been connected long before you found the PI and the PI found her. Yeah, I guess so. Oh, boy, that sucks. Yeah. I mean, it just it, there was a lot of just weird things with that whole situation. So the way that my adoptive mom told me what had happened was that one of the requests that my biological mother had was every year she wanted a letter sent about how I was doing so that she could keep track of everything. And my mom dropped off a letter and like a videotape of me, no audio or anything, nothing revealing where we lived, but just a little home video that she could have or a picture. And my mom would drop it off to the adoption agency every year. So she did that for three years. And then the adoption agency told my mom that she never came and picked up any of the other ones. You don't have to keep doing this. Mm. So then when I connected with my biological mom, they she had told me the adoption agency told her that we had moved away and weren't sending the videos anymore. So oh, it's no. like, okay. Yeah, so I don't know. It just was, you know, unfortunate on both ends. But I actually met her for the first time. A week after I got her information, we met actually on Father's Day, ironically. She was over on my side of the state visiting her father, so we met up for the first time. Wow. Father's Day afternoon, yeah. What was that first meeting like between you guys? It was, we met in a public place, we met on a mall for some reason, and it, you know, I have the moment in my head, you know, of you know, her turning around and seeing her for the first time. And she was just a gorgeous lady, nice lady, you know, and being able to be around her for the first time and just staring at her and seeing, you know, how similar we are and how, you know, we kind of talk the same, we kind of look the same. It just was really surreal. But, you know, I just experienced over this last year, my adoptive mom going through her reunion with my brother. And again, you know, they're two different journeys, but just that, you know, comparison is going back and forth together in my mind because my biological mom is not as like warm and open with that kind of like thing. Like there was no big long hug and tears. There wasn't that, you know, it was a nice moment, but it wasn't that, oh, my gosh, you know, my heart is healed moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's this piece of us that wants the the biggest, warmest, most Hollywood epic reunion possible. And not everybody's capable of that. Right. And yeah, and it, it's it's disappointing. Right. Because you want this warm welcome back. and. Uh, yeah, she may have sort of some people feel it in the inside, but don't really express it on the outside. And some people just kind of feel it, you know, and so I could see how that would be really challenging to have, especially in your own personal experience, have seen what it can be like for this emotional, huggy, grabby, deep moment to be completely different on in your own experience there in the mall with your own biological mother. Absolutely. Wow. I mean, it was, you know, I feel like we definitely did have a connection. 
you know, we talked about, you know, she told me all about her relationship with my biological father. She told me, you know, about, you know, her daughter and her mom and her siblings and, you know, their family traditions, how, you know, and she kept referring to as, you know, your grandma always has us do an Easter bonnet decorating contest. And, you know, I love stuff like that. And I was getting really excited, but also it was like two sides of the coin where I didn't want her to think that I thought that I can just insert myself into this family and act like the last 29 years didn't happen all of a sudden that, you know, I was, you know, part of it, but I really wanted to be. Yeah. You know, it's this inner turmoil where I have my family, I have my mom, I have my dad, I have my grandmother, and that is that's great. I don't want to say that that's not enough, but now that I see what I should have had, what I was naturally supposed to be in, you know, you want to be a part of that too, Mm -hmm. but you don't want to go too hard too fast either Dang. so mm. it was it was hard yeah. it was very hard yeah i can imagine you know what you want to be invited into but you also know that you got to take it slow and you don't want to be too demanding in jumping into that yeah and i tried to you know and she like i said she would say your grandma and you know your sister and you know your uncle and stuff like that but she would never refer to herself as my mom and everything which was fine mm. And as much as I loved hearing all of that, when I would talk back to her, I would say, well, you know, you're a mom and, you know, your brother. And when I'd speak about, you know, her daughter, I would use her name and, you know, just to try to make sure that I wasn't pushing through, you know, a boundary line. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, right. It's I can I can sense what you were trying to do. She was speaking to you about the people in her life and through the relationship that you have to them, but you couldn't necessarily in that introductory moment own those relationships as they were conveyed to you, right? If you had just come in and be like sort of speaking in a very overly familiar fashion, it could have been off-putting to her, even though those are technically the relationships that you have with the people she was referring to. That's how my mindset was, absolutely, because I know, like, how my personality is, and I could sense that, in my opinion, we had a similar personality. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to not off-put her by, you know, I didn't want to mirror what she said, and then that made her uncomfortable. Yeah, and your instinct was probably right, because you felt what, what you would be like in that similar in that situation on the other side. So what happened then in the aftermath? You've had this small public reunion. What happens for you guys going forward? So she gives me a necklace and it says you are always in my heart. And that was, you know, for me, a beautiful moment. I still, I have it actually hanging up in my car. I look at it every day, you know, while I'm driving around town and whatever. So after that, she goes home, I go home. That following weekend, I drive up to her mother's house, which is my biological grandmother, and I have my husband and my daughters with me, and I meet her her grandmother. So I have a great-grandmother that is alive, which was very cool. Wow. 
So for my daughter, it would be her great great grandma. That's incredible. Wow. Yes. Oh my God. That's unreal. <laughs> yes. And guess what? She has those blue eyes, those ice blue eyes Are from her great great grandma. That's unreal. Yes. So you finally got the yes. mystery solved. That's unbelievable. Yes. Yes, because when I met my biological mom, you know, there's brown eyes looking back at me. I'm like, where are my ice blue eyes? Mm-hmm. So I found them. Oh, that's incre- That's really incredible. Wow. Yes. So we all meet at her mother's house and we have lunch and, you know, she's got folding chairs around her living room and we're sitting in a circle and I'm sitting in the folding chair next to my husband holding my two-month-old daughter you know, almost three months at this point, and everyone's just kind of like staring at us. It was kind of a surreal <laughs> experience. Mm-hmm. So I can imagine. Right. Because you're it was, sitting there you know, like you're the a piece of a lost generation and you're holding the next generation. That's really wild. Yes. Yes. And we actually got a picture that day. I got a picture. It's me, my biological mother, her mom and then her grandmother with my daughters in that picture. So it's, I think, four generations. That's spectacular. Um, oh, my God. Or five generations in one picture, yeah. So that same day, I get pictures of her. She's holding, you know, my two-month-old daughter, and that's kind of cool. Because I'm thinking, I'm like, wow. Because the last time, she told me the last time that she saw me, I was a month old. And I know I got taken home by my adoptive parents at, you know, six weeks. So the last time she saw me was when I was at a foster home right before I went with, you know, my adoptive parents. Mm-hmm. And so to see her holding my daughter close to the same age was pretty, pretty surreal. She had sent me pictures of herself holding me in the hospital and her father holding me. And just seeing those pictures was, you know, it was amazing because I'm like, oh my God, that's my family. But it's heartbreaking at the same time because she's so young, you know, it's looking at a 14 year old girl holding a baby. That was just, I understand why she is the way she is, why she's so closed off with that. That was such a traumatizing thing that happened to her while she was so young. But at the end of the day, it's still a life, you know, that she brought in the world and still a relationship that we have, no matter how complicated that trauma is. Samantha met her birth mother's best friend, who was in the woman's life back when Samantha was born. Samantha observed that her birth mother was more reserved when she was at her own mother's house than she was in the company of her best friend. I speculated that perhaps her birth mother felt uncomfortable there with Samantha among the people who were instrumental in sending her away to give birth. Samantha said no. She finds her birth mother always keeps a bit of distance between them. To me, there always seems to be a wall with her, you know, and I think that it it comes from what happened to her, you know, going through childbirth at 14, relinquishment at 14, getting sent to a home for unwed mothers as well, you know, so being sent away from your parents at such a young age and being pregnant and then giving birth to a child and then relinquishing that child. You know, she told me she came home and everyone told her, you know, you're going to forget about this. You're going to move on. And her mom gave her a puppy. So that's what, yeah, you know, and shortly after all this happened, her parents got divorced. And then, you know, a decade later, her brother passes away about eight years after that, her sister passes away. So there was just, A lot of of trauma in that family. After the reunion with her birth mother, they texted back and forth and spoke by phone a few times. 
Samantha was invited to the woman's brother's house a few months later for a birthday party where she met more family, including cousins the same age as her own children. But her birth mother was standoffish at the party, kind of cold. A few months later, Samantha had her daughter baptized. Her bonus brother was asked to be the young lady's godfather, and all sides of Samantha's family were invited. It was going to be the first time her birth family and adoptive family would meet one another. Samantha's birth mother had expressed interest in meeting her adoptive family, and Samantha was really excited that day had arrived. She did come to the christening, and it was just very awkward. You know, it was cold. There wasn't this, hi, it's great to finally meet you. Here's a hug. It wasn't anything like that. It was just, you know, hi, I'm here kind of thing. And her mother came and... So my grandmother was there, my biological grandmother, and she came in and she gave everybody a hug and a warm welcome. And she came to the restaurant afterwards with us after the baptism, but my biological mother did not. So she got to know, you know, my parents and everything more. And I'll never forget, she goes to leave my biological grandmother and she gives me a hug and she tells me that she loves me. And that was just... That's like all you want to hear as an adoptee and, you know, finding your biological family. You just want to hear that, you know, they they did love you no matter, you know, what happened or how long it took to find you. And I wanted to get that from my biological mom and I didn't, but that's okay because at least I got it from my biological grandmother. So that was a really special moment for me. Yeah, it does sound really special, but I want to I want to make sure you focus on something else too that strikes me in this moment. It's keep in mind she actually showed up. I right? know. That's huge. This is I know. she knows full well that this is a big moment in your family. And there's a lot of emotion on her in meeting you in the first place let alone yeah. showing up to stand with her family face-to-face with, quote-unquote, your family, right? So she showed up, and even though she might not have been as effusive and emotional as you might have liked, there's a lot in that action, right? Actions oh, speak 100%. louder than words. Absolutely. Yeah, so just just hold on to the fact that she showed up and try not to be too attached to how emotional she was or was not. Because in my mind, standing as an outsider looking in, I know what you wanted. I'm with you. But keep in mind that she did come and she brought her mom. And that is friggin' huge. Oh, absolutely. I 100% agree with that. And like I said, I think that we have a very similar personality. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, if I were to come in a situation like that, maybe I'd be in the same way. I was brought up in a very, you know, huggy, give me a kiss on the cheek, Italian (laughs) family. But, you know, when I, you know, when I go to leave, you know, other people's houses or whatever, it's not first reaction for me to give a hug. You know, I do because that's the way I was raised, but that's not always like a natural feeling for me. You know, that's not how I always maybe express myself or show love. So I get it. It's just, you know, again, comparing to watching a reunion firsthand unfold and just comparing that side by side, you know, over time was just, you know, it's been hard. That was the last time I saw her. You know, that was three years ago. I haven't Mm. seen her since that day. 
you know, I think that, and I don't know how that day was for her. She's never told me, but I think the day was pretty hard for her. I mean, I would imagine I haven't seen her since. Yeah. So. It sounds, it sounded like it was probably hard for her. So, wow. I'm sorry you guys haven't seen each other anymore since then. Let me ask you, how has your mom been in this reunion? Have you shared with her how tough it's been to have the juxtaposition of the two reunions, the one you lived through with her and her own son versus the one that you experienced with your biological mom? No, I don't bring it up because I know that she is heartbroken and unhappy with how my reunion went mm -hmm. so far. So I don't, I don't bring that up with her because it's, it's painful. It's very painful for me and it's very personal for me, you know, yes. even talking to my husband about it, you know, I just, I can't sometimes even get the words out because nobody understands, you know, listening to your podcast or different podcasts and everything, you hear other people go through things and you, you get it because you've walked that path before, but yeah, it's just, it's hard to talk about. It's very hard to talk about, you know, three months after that happened, I was up in the area that my grandmother was living for a wedding and we stopped and had lunch with her and my great grandmother. And I sent a picture to my biological mother and said, oh, look, you know who we ran into. And she asked me to call her and I called her and she told me that she has been struggling, you know, with everything. And at this point, we are six months in a reunion. She told me she had been struggling with everything and that, you know, it's a very large box that she has to unpack, you know, in theory, and that she just needs time to process everything. And I told her, you know, I understood. And, you know, I'd give her, you know, her space and everything. And that's the last time I talked to her on the phone. Um, you know, the last time I saw her was the month before that at my daughter's christening. But, I mean, I feel like... You know, we text from time to time. I just gave birth to my son last year, you know, and I did share that information with her and I would send her pictures and stuff when he was born. And, you know, I think she texted me maybe a month after he was born to see how everybody was doing. But, you know, that's probably the last time I texted with her was about a year ago. The last time I talked to her on the phone was about three years ago. My, my um, sense, though, is that she probably likes or appreciates your updates like, she hasn't said, listen, I can't do this. Yeah. You know what I mean? And she's admitted that she's struggling. And as you've said, she was 14 when this happened. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. one, to get pregnant at 14, two, to give birth and have to, you know, relinquish the child. And then three, have to live as the youngest in your family with nobody talking about this. You know, that's at the beginning of your teenage years. Right. Yeah. And she lived with that for 29 years. As she said, it's a large box she has to unpack. If I could give you a bit of advice and I know you didn't ask for it, keep sending her stuff. Like, just let her know you're thinking about her and that you want to share. And she will reciprocate in the ways that she can at the times that she can. But I would just love to see you try to be a little bit open to communicating with her just because she hasn't said go away. It, does that make no, sense? No, I know. 
Yeah. It does. I mean, like, you know, two years ago, my husband and I were over on her side of the coast. We were there for our anniversary vacation. And I texted her. I'm like, oh, hey, you know, I'm here. Do you want to meet up with, you know, for dinner? And it was, oh, no, we can't. We're busy. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I am friends with her on Facebook. So, you know, I see her post. She sees my post, you know, about a month ago, she went to a concert. That concert was literally, that venue is across the street from my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. She was like, Mm -hmm. you know, so as much as I am so happy that I have this reunion and I'm so happy I have these glimpses into her life and she has these glimpses into my life, I go back and forth sometimes where like, this is so painful that it's like looking at it, you know, through binoculars, like on the other side of the fence, you know, I can see all this stuff and this life and this family and I can view it, but I'm not part of it. And as healing as that is to have that information, it just, it's painful at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. And I'm really sorry for that. That, that pain is really rough and you need the other person, your biological mom to help you through it and to alleviate it. And she can't do it. And I'm, I'm just really sorry that that's the way that things are. It's okay. I mean, I am a positive person myself, too. I think that, you know, one day that things might be different, but it's navigating that. Like, to your point, you know, communication does go both ways. I could, I can send her more stuff. I can, you know, reach out to her. And, but it's also, it's a fine line because it's going back to that. What if I push too much that she eventually says, you know what, I can't do this. I'm sorry. And then I lose whatever little connection that I do have. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's hard. It's really, it's a balancing act. And, you know, there's certain, I don't think anyone else in her life outside of her family knows about me Mm -hmm. and that's fine. You know, that's not my business to share. That's her, you know, her life and everything. But, you know, I still haven't met her dad. Her dad's not in good health. I have a picture of him holding me at the hospital and I would love to meet the man, but Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if that's ever going to happen because I don't think his wife, He has a new wife. He's newly married. And I don't think that, you know, they know about me. She, my biological mother's, you know, remarried and she has two stepchildren and I don't think that they know about me. So it's hard because I see all this stuff going on and I can view it, but I'm not a part of it. Right. So, yeah. So you just continue to be the secret that is out there in the distance somewhere. And that's really tough. Yeah. But, you know, one day it might change, but, Mm -hmm. you know. For now, I have, you know, my little biological army of kids now that I have in my family. So I'm focused on that and enjoying that. Can only hope that, you know, that one day things might change. I hope so, so too, Samantha. I mean, there's there's a long road ahead. I feel like you can chip away at it with small gestures and just, you know, I don't think you're going to push her away. And just let her have her space. And I'm hopeful that one day you guys can reconnect, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's really fascinating to hear sort of this. I don't know that I really talked to anybody before who is an adoptee who has witnessed their own parent going through a union. I've only maybe one or two others, I think. And it's just fascinating to hear this piece where you get to watch someone else's reunion and then anticipate your own. And I know it's been painful, but I appreciate you sort of sharing your perspective in your hopes because i know there's other people out there that really need to hear this and and are probably struggling too so thanks for your openness in this time 
Yeah, absolutely. And that was like another thing that was cool with meeting my bonus brother because I was actually, he was more open about talking about, you know, his adoption experiences. And that's something that we kind of bonded over. And like I said, he's also in the same profession as my biological mom. So he gave me like his input about why she might be the way that she is and mm. stuff like that. So that's cool. It's cool to see how, who and how you bond with in the adoption community. So even though we might feel like we're, alone in this world we we're all in it together so yeah that is true that is true well thanks again samantha for being here with me i appreciate you sharing your story take care all the best okay thank you you too have a good weekend you too bye-bye bye-bye hey it's me samantha said she never spoke with her birth mother about the son she placed for adoption but it was great to see their wonderful reunion it was interesting to hear how her introduction to her birth mother unfolded when the private investigator just pursued the path to her birth father, then her birth mother, and connected Samantha to the woman by phone. As you're getting help with your reunion, ask questions about the process to make sure you're clear on who has what roles so you can insert yourself in places where you might want to be the one who makes first contact. When Samantha found her birth mother, it sounded like the woman had not fully dealt with the trauma of her pregnancy and relinquishing Samantha. I hope she's able to face what's happened in the past and let Samantha in closer so she doesn't feel like she's watching the family from outside the fence. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you found something in Samantha's journey that inspired you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn. Who am I really? And just a quick reminder that if you would like to share the story of your adoption and your attempt to connect with your biological family, please visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can follow me on Instagram at Damon L. Davis and follow the podcast at WAI Really. If you like the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star review in your podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. Your ratings really do help others to find the podcast too. And if you're interested, you can check out my adoption journey in my memoir, Who Am I Really?, available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. I hope you'll add my story to your reading list.